As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. I was preparing for the Bible study today and uh, I must confess it's been the most difficult uh, you know, situation to choose what to study. You know, I've gone through uh, you know, many difficult situations and uh, you know, speaking at funerals perhaps and sometimes you know, a funeral of someone who was very close to me, like, you know, I didn't speak at my dad's funeral or my mother's, but definitely uh, at my brother-in-law's funeral. Uh, it's always difficult. Uh, but, and even when JNU, you know, two years ago, or more than that, a few years ago, there was the whole uh, protest, I think 2016, and uh, there were a lot of problems going on. I didn't find it difficult to decide what to speak on. You know, that, that was not, never a problem because I spoke on dissent, what could be appropriate. But this time, I must confess, it's been very difficult. Difficult to decide what to look at because we can end up looking at the same thing of comforting and strengthening and speaking about the coronavirus uh, Christian response, but it's difficult. You know, just now, uh, Selena and I, I think some of you also may have attended the funeral of uh, Selvi's husband. Selvi, I'm not sure when she studied in JNU. That was many years ago. Uh, she was studying in the, you know, I think it was Marine something she was doing. She did a PhD there, and then. They lived in Munirka for many years, Selvi and Venkat. And she was from JMU, you know, never thought that, uh, you know, at this age, she must be, Venkat was 54, according to what I saw today. So Selvi must be in her early 50s, I think. I'm not sure. And earlier, last, you know, two weeks ago, we lost another girl in JNUC. You know, JMU, she died, you know, the one who died in... Um, Varka, and uh, so many, so many, and you never know how long we are going to be around. And uh, attending funerals has not been the great thing these days, because it also becomes very impersonal. It's all on the Zoom and uh, yesterday or I think Saturday morning, Sunday morning, six o'clock there was a funeral. And I really, my heart goes out to pastors who are constantly, you know, having to do these things, two funerals in a day. And more than that, the families who have lost the loved ones, the anxiety that is going through, even now, you know, I was talking to Malti, my daughter. And uh, so she was saying that there's somebody who's at Holy Family and the person is quite critical. And uh, the whole issue of 
families going through pain, individual children going through pain, you know, the anxiety that is there while a person is in hospital, and not only in the hospital, even when they start, you know, having difficulty in breathing and things like that. And I think it's very important for us to, you know, ask ourselves, you know, as I always say, my prayer is that God help me not to get so used to pain, you know, because sometimes it can become something that we don't, uh, we've got used to it a lot. And uh, I feel, as I told you, my heart goes out to pastors, especially because to a large extent, as I was telling some of my friends, pastors are also frontline workers. We may not call them frontline, but uh, definitely, you know, I know from the recent uh, last few weeks or months since, since April, as this COVID has been hitting our city, it's always the pastors who give me the first call to say, CB, do you know anyone where we can give a, we can get a consultancy because one of our congregation members is having a problem or, uh, so they, usually I realize people call, people call their pastor or the information goes to the pastor and then the pastor arranges for meals to be sent to the family. And this second phase has been something that affected whole families at one time, which means the whole family had no one to look after them. And so the pastor had to coordinate, you know, the provision of meals to the house. And then trying to find out when, whether the person can get a hospital. I know one pastor who desperately at two o'clock in the morning had to take his congregation member to the hospital because they were, he was gasping for oxygen. And then he later on called me and said, uh, you know, he's not able to get a ward, a room, a bed. And, you know, I realized how, uh, you know, how close they are. And of course, health workers are also in the front line, but then they're only dealing with the patient, which that's what they are there for. You know, once the person is admitted, they look after the person, they're doing their best, but the pastor, continues to minister to the family. You know, they are in touch with the family, you know, because the health professionals don't know how to deal with the family, especially with this COVID, you're outside. You don't even come anywhere nearby. You're outside and you all that you get to know is some news from somebody and they're desperate and the pastor is there to counsel. And then comes the situation when, you know, praise God if when the person is discharged and comes home, but some case, the person dies. The pastor is now responsible to continue, not only to conduct the funeral, but to comfort the family. And I realized how, you know, the pastor is more a frontline, you know, person, if, especially if he's a pastor, pastor who feels, and many of them are like that. And we have lost a lot of pastors also in the city of Delhi. Now we are doing a survey to find out who are the pastors who have, who people who know who are the pastors who have died, uh, or you know some of them are maybe critical in the hospital. One person, I think, Wati uh, uh, or something. He's a pastor in Delhi, in North Delhi. He has his own uh, congregation, working with the campus ministry. 
And uh, I was very touched last week, a day before yesterday when I was talking to, today's Tuesday, I was talking to another pastor on Monday. So I asked him, how was your church on Sunday? He said, see, I was not in my church. Uh, I called uh, Pastor Watty's congregation members. I knew that the pastor is critical in the hospital. So he just wanted to know, you know, whether they are meeting. And they said, no, we've, we are not meeting. So he said, I'm available. I can take the service for them. So he arranged for someone to leave worship and he ministered to the church. And some of them are coming, playing, going the extra second mile and things like that. And there are a lot of good deeds, a lot of people doing good because this is a time when so many good things can be done. And, but at the same time, it is difficult time. And uh, so in the context of all that is happening, you know, it's how do, what do we minister? What is the word? And of course, I'm not here to say that uh, I received a word from, you know, God for the occasion, you know, because that, you know, I'm not one of those who, not that I don't receive a word, but, you know, I, I don't think I, I, I'm in that context of this is what the Lord is saying. But I, one thing I know is that, you know, for all of us, not just here in India, all over the world, the pandemic has been a situation that we had never experienced. We had never experienced some kind of a global tragedy and uh, which has hit so many places, so many places. And everybody is living with the fear and the possibility there would be another wave. And uh, or not only in India, even other countries, I know they're doing everything possible to make sure that uh, there is no other wave that is going to happen or to prepare themselves for the next wave. And so there is this uncertainty that is around. And uh, when I was thinking about all the pain, it's so unfamiliar for most of us. On the other hand, you know, such major calamities, not global calamities as we are now, maybe because we have better communication, and uh, we know when there is a tragedy which is affecting some other part of the world. But there were times when there would have been major, major uh, catastrophes, you know, not just created, not only what they say God made or natural calamities, but even man-made like war and things like that. And people have lived through difficult times. I was listening or reading about what happened in uh, Germany during Hitler's time and the way some families protected and kept uh, families. I was watching a documentary, I think, on Prince uh, Philip's mother, you know, and the one who died recently. That's Prince Philip, isn't it? His mother, I think. And uh, it was a very brilliant uh, documentary. I never uh, knew anything about her because I never say, seen her in the news. She actually came from a very rich family in Britain, married to a Dutch uh, prince and uh, then they went through major problems in their country and uh, she was put into a psychiatric uh, hospital and uh, she came out of it and then she gave herself to charity work and she went on to start a Catholic movement and order in the Catholic Church or Orthodox Church and uh, one of the things that they said was how she hid in her house 
uh, a Jewish family or two Jewish families during the time when the Nazi reign was going on. And uh, when they were reporting all that they had gone through, you know, and uh, I know that people, human history has gone through a lot, you know, and some of the things that have gone through ruthless killing and things like that. We don't know any record about a pandemic uh, which affected the whole world. Maybe there is, I don't know. I've read about, you know, major uh, plagues which affected and how it happened. But uh, one of the things that I also realized is that the church itself from day one had learned to live in the context of major tragedies. And uh, plague was one of them they had to go through in Rome. I think it was 300 and something when there was a major plague and the church stood out in its response. But, you know, the church never had it easy from the time because it started off with a bang, with the killing of Jesus. And then they had to, you know, even after Jesus' crucifixion, they had to learn to live as a rejected community or a suspected community. And right from the beginning when Peter and John preached in, the, in Jerusalem and they were arrested, the church was always an object of uh, a kind of uh, the violence against it. And, but then it, moved, it increased. It was not just Peter and John being uh, beaten and then sent out of the temple. Then you had the first martyr, you had Stephen, and very soon, by the time you come to Acts chapter 9, they were all scattered. They were all scattered. And uh, there were only the few people left in Jerusalem. They were scattered all over that place. They went to Antioch and other places. And we know that from the letters when we read that most of the letters were written by in times of persecution, especially Paul's letters were written from prison. And uh, even Peter and John who wrote letters, they all wrote from situations which were not comfortable situation. And uh, it was, kind of very ruthless kind of violence they went through. And by the time they say that by, uh, I think by 380 or whatever it is, the church which had grown to 70 million, that would be in uh, uh, seven crores, I think, you know, and then, then something, somebody was reading 70 million. And they had lost 20 million through persecution. That was a big number. So the church always lived in the context of pain and sometimes being suspected for creating the plague. And uh, But so most of the letters which were written are written on by the early church leaders like Paul and Peter, basically to encourage. We saw in the book of Revelation, it's in the context of uh, you know, persecution. And basically to try and encourage them as to how to live in that situation. So that's the line that I'm taking as I start another study now as to what are the things we can learn from the earliest church, especially from Peter's letter to the people that he was writing that is in the book of First Peter. That's what I'm going to look at. And my prayer is that we will learn you know, God forbid that we, none of us would become victims to what is happening around. But definitely whether we are victims or not, 
I've learned one thing, you know, you know, today Selena and I went and bought our second dose of vaccine. And, uh, you know, almost people say that if you get a second dose, you are safe in the sense, I don't know how long we are safe, but they said, you will, even if you're infected, it won't be fatal and all those things. So, but that's not the issue. You know, I, I suppose all of us are living in situations where we are well protected, but the whole issue is not so much about being protecting ourselves, but how do we respond? You know, last week uh, I had a slight uh, fright on one, I think it was Saturday night when my pulse suddenly went up and I had to call my doctor friend and ask him uh, what to do because uh, it shot up suddenly you know, for no reason. I didn't know what the reason was. All that I knew, it went up to 170 and it wouldn't. And he said, my doctor friend said, you know, wait for five minutes, try and do something. And if it doesn't come down, go, you have to go to the hospital to get an injection. And that was late in the night at about 10 something. And it came down. But then I was saying as to what could have caused it. Of course, one possibility could be something that I ate, which did not, uh, which did not, uh, you know, uh, which caused the problem. That could be a problem. But I think more, not only that, but also the fact there's so much happening around. And, you know, I always wonder how God handles so much of pain, you know, you know, and, you know, every morning you open the phone, sometimes you'll dread this morning, I opened the phone uh, uh, 6.30, I think, uh, after, you know, for the, before the time of prayer, and there was a message that a cousin of mine uh, died this morning. And, uh, you know, so the, you know, it's and I, my prayer is that I wouldn't get used to pain, but at the same time, I'm praying God that I would have the ability to handle pain, uh, so that you know I'm able to pray for people and feel the pain. So it's very difficult, you know, because it may not. It's not that the COVID is going to affect us, and uh, the chances are because we may protect ourselves, you know, not go out at all, wear the mask and do the social distancing, all that is possible. But it's impossible to live and not feel pain. And if we don't feel pain, there's something very serious about it. You know, because the fact of knowing God is that we begin to feel the pain that God feels. We may not be able to solve any of the problems around us. And so we need to pray always that God keep us as those who feel pain. And, uh, and so when I was reading about New Testament in general, and the early church never ran away. Of course, there were strong verses, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, saying, you do not grieve like the Gentiles do. He is not saying you should not grieve because Paul himself talks about his own work with tears he ministered and he felt pain. He felt pain. He said, you know, please send uh, my friends to me. Some of them have left me. I'm alone and all those things. And even when one of his very close friends was almost, you know, serious and was going to die, he said that God, you know, actually, uh, you know, kept protected him you know, so that it won't be more burden on my heart. And so the early church had to deal with it. And I think in this time, it's learning as to how to deal with it. And I'm looking at First Peter, and my prayer is that as we study it, we will be able to draw from it lessons which will help us in our own journey 
during times like this. Peter uh, writes two letters, and I believe both of them were written very close one after another. Uh, and it was written to the same group because he says in his second letter, he says, I had written to you earlier in my, you know, so Peter didn't write much. It's not like Paul who wrote a lot, but Peter's two letters are brilliant letters. And uh, it was like Paul. And Peter, of course, will accept the fact that Paul is much better than him uh, because Paul's thoughts are very different. But even then, Peter, you know, writes to strengthen people. And uh, the, I want to look at these two. And Peter was not, I'm not sure whether he was in prison because from the writing itself, it's very hard to know. But Peter definitely was very close to the time when he was going to die. Because in the second letter in chapter one, he says, God has revealed to him that his time is going to come very soon. And Peter again was one of the disciples like everyone else other than John who was killed uh, persecuted and he was killed. So Peter was very close to the time when he was going to die and uh, he took a little time to write this letter. You know, and one of the things in the early church is that most of them, including Paul, he says, I have fought the fair, uh, fight, I run the race and now I'm going, you know, it, death didn't seem to stop them from what they were doing till the end. You know, they, you know, of course, Paul writes and says he desired to go and be with Christ. He writes earlier and he says, but he said, for your sake, I'm staying back. So they were not, you know, eager to go and die. But on the other hand, they were always prepared. But they went on life, you know, in a way that they continued to do what God wanted them to do. So this letter of Peter is something in which Peter writes to a group of people knowing fully well that he was not going to stay with them for too long. But he knew that he had to play this role because they themselves were going through suffering. And there were a lot of questions in people's minds, people's minds, because one, you know, the possibility, is this the time that Jesus is going to come? Is this going to be the time when God, the world is going to end? All those questions they had. And Peter's purpose of writing is not so much to answer all these questions, but to strengthen them. And I think more and more I'm convinced that in times of suffering, there's something about us which becomes evident. And Jesus told that so beautifully when he told about the parable of a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the storm came, the house stood. And uh, the house stood because of its strong foundation. And that rock, Jesus said, is like the one, the wise man, he said, is like the one who hears my word and then puts it into practice. So at the time of a storm, we do not start building our capacities, but our foundations help us to handle it. And so that is what Peter and Paul and John and all of them built, believed because they were basically telling the church, hold on to what you have known, because that is what is going to help you to handle the situation. And you know, in, in this case of the pandemic, I am seeing the debates that take place in the medical profession about the disease and what is the way to handle it. And most, and there are you know different schools of thought of medicine. You know, people who studied in allopathic medicine, people who studied different ways of medicine. 
And very interesting, you know, that the, especially because most of the treatment for COVID is largely with the allopathic way of medical treatment. It's very interesting how they all go back to the foundations of their knowledge. You know, I was watching a, a YouTube discussion in which our friend who many of you know, Dr. Santosh and another doctor were being interviewed or they did a presentation on COVID from CMC Velour. And there were a lot of questions, questions which may be very simple for us. And uh, like, for instance, does, I was just watching, does vitamin D help? You know, now, you know, those are questions. And the way they handled it is on the basis of their clear foundation of knowledge. You know, and where they didn't know, they were clear. They said, we don't know. We don't know how it spreads. We know how it spreads, but how a person gets it. So very interesting is that they all went back. What That's why we like to listen to somebody who is clear on their own foundations, not somebody who gets swayed and says, you know, if you stand on your head for three minutes, COVID will rush away. You know, we don't want to listen to all those kind of feelings, basically because we're saying they are not thinking through. And I think in handling difficult situations, we must go back to basically see strength in our foundation. So what does Peter talk about? Now, Peter basically writes, as I said in chapter one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a term that he and uh, Paul use very often about their fact of their identity in terms of Christ, not in terms of salvation alone, also the commissioning, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is somebody who is sent out so Peter was uh, talking about the authority that he had in what he was talking. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He starts off by clearly saying he's, he knows who he's writing to. He's writing to a group of people who he calls exiles, that means who have been thrown out, refugees kind of thing, you know, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The church which had grown from Jerusalem with a Jewish community moved on to actually influence a lot of Gentiles because of the apostle Paul. And the church was persecuted, not just the Jews, but even the Gentile Christians, we know that that is how when you read the New Testament, we know that they too were, you know, persecuted. So they, we find that they had been exiled or scattered throughout. The word that is used here is something when you break something, it gets thrown in different places. And so they were scattered. And uh, most of the times they did not have the privilege of traveling with their own, all their position. You know, they must have fled the place with basic, like what we see of refugees who have to leave their hometown. So that's what happened with the, with the people. They had scattered and they were in different places, perhaps some hidden, some perhaps starting, you know, a new, some perhaps a little bit better established. But Peter was writing to all of them, exiles that are scattered. In almost to say, Peter knows consciously that the, these are people who have gone through a difficult time. 
but he calls them God's elect. Because sometimes when we go through the experience of being scattered and exiled, you know, we feel like asking the question, are we still God's elect? Because uh, that's a big question that even during this COVID, I know that I was listening to or reading something where uh, one of the, uh, you know, Bible teachers was responding to a question as to why are righteous people dying? Now, I don't think the virus is very particular about, uh, you know, attacking only one group of people. But there are questions. People are saying, why are pastors dying? You know, I don't know why they didn't expect a virus to affect the pastors also. But the question is, can I be an elect? And still, because sometimes there are people who will say, nothing will happen to you because you're God's child. Peter is very clear. This is the fact that you are exiles and scattered doesn't mean that your status with God has changed. To God's elect, he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. You know, one of the best things about the New Testament is that each one of the writers of the, especially the epistles, not so much the gospel, try to look at salvation, uh, not in different ways, but to look at it more deeper and deeper and deeper. They started off in the beginning by when Peter stood up in Acts chapter two, we have a report when his message was very simple. That is this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised him up from the grave and he's given us the Holy Spirit and uh, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, you will be saved. That's where they started. But over the many next few years, especially with the influence of people like St. Paul, and not just Paul, I think their constant conversation about salvation seems to have you know, given them a more and more deeper insight about what happens when we come to know Christ. You know, originally it was basically accepting the historical event of Jesus on the cross and its interpretation as for our salvation. But then as they went on, as they had the experience, they began to understand the depth of that salvation. And so Peter here would say, this is what happened. You are God's select, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, it's a very difficult teaching on this foreknowledge. Now, one of the advantages of foreknowledge is that we know that our own salvation was something that was on the heart of God even before we are born. That is what the confidence it gives. Because many times we are worried, you know, if the kind of life that I have lived or, you know, even my life after coming to know Christ, would it mean that I would be rejected by God? Now, that was a struggle which the early church had to deal with. People had to deal with it. Of course, they had to deal with it in a way that sometimes people like John would say, these people who are the Antichrist, they went from us, but they did not belong to us. So there was very clear. And then the writer of Hebrews would say, those who have enjoyed the salvation and have walked away, it's impossible for them to come back. So you have the extreme thing of saying you can lose your salvation. But generally, the New Testament strongly talked about the fact that we are saved not because of our works, but because of the grace of God. So 
we don't have to be walking always a tightrope walking walk wondering whether tomorrow morning god is going to throw us out he says no even before we were not born by the foreknowledge of god god has chosen us and how did he do that through the sanctifying work of the holy spirit you know that's what happens so when we come to christ it's not something in which we you know uh, open the door for him i remember when i was young the picture of salvation was that jesus is standing outside the door and he's knocking and behold i stand at the door and if anyone opens the door i will come in that was the verse which was used almost gave me a picture of jesus just waiting outside begging uh, to come in and i was the boss that i decided when i will let him in but then as i read the scripture i realized yes sometimes i may feel like that but actually even that move towards god even the consciousness of the grace of god is the work of the holy spirit in its own time you know i was grew up in a church where i had very good teaching but i didn't come to know christ then i came to know christ only when i was 21 years old and of course that that's the time when you know the holy spirit moved in my heart i knew a lot of facts but maybe maybe earlier i was hard or adamant i don't know but i look back and say that that is the way god works the sanctifying work of the spirit and for what purpose the sanctifying work of the holy spirit peter uses a word that the holy we come to christ through the first step is when the holy spirit moves in us but it is part of god's program to sanctify us to make us into the image of jesus so peter and the early church paul especially and even john would say this is a journey in which we start but there is a definite journey that we undertake when salvation happens the sanctifying work of the holy spirit i'm doing a study on one john with another group and john says you know my little children i write to you so that you will not sin that is it because god anyone who is born of god doesn't sin and you have god seed in you so the early church is understanding is that the journey begins because of the spirit working in us but it is a journey in which the spirit's work is to sanctify us to make us into the image of jesus and so he says through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to jesus christ and sprinkled with his blood he says the you know the sanctifying work of the holy spirit is that in which we are redeemed by god by it uses the phrase sprinkled by his blood and the purpose of that is for obedience to jesus christ so the you know when you read you know not just here in different places you know one day i hope i can just sit and read all that new testament says about salvation because it looks at it from so many different ways and you capture the beauty of an experience which perhaps begin in knowing that behold the lamb of god which takes away the sins of the world but by the time you read the whole of the new testament and the reflection that took place on an experience that they had you see the richness so peter writes to them and saying i'm writing to you god's elect chosen by the foreknowledge of god through the sanctifying work of the spirit to obedience to jesus christ and sprinkled by his blood he says hey you guys i'm writing to you are going through difficult time but i'm writing to you as those who have a very special place in god's work in human history 
And that is where he starts. And I know when we go through difficult times, it is hard to believe you know, because sometimes we want to play the card and say, God, if I'm a child of God, then why am I going through suffering? But that's not what he's saying. You're, there's no, if I am a child of God, you are a child of God. Now you want to understand what, how do we handle the rest of life, knowing that I am a child of God. And so he starts off by saying, I want to just look at a few more verses and then we will stop. He says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In the last time. Now here is... Peter's first opening statement, he talks about, you know, he says, you know, you have a great experience. So let's begin by praising God for this. You know, and I like the way Peter talks about praise here, you know, because when we go through difficulties, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I've been part of, you know, so many groups during this pandemic, you know, listening, sometimes attending worship time, sometimes prayer time. And I, you know, and when I see people praising, I think sometimes they think praise is like a mantra. And I remember when I was young, I used to go down south to my uh, cousins, uh, to my mother's family. And uh, those times there were no great electric lights in those roads. Now, of course, Kerala has developed and they must be having, you know, and Kerala has got good roads. And, you know, they, in fact, have even responded to the pandemic so well. I'm hearing that some families, some Kerala families in Delhi are going back to Kerala because they're sure they'll get a good uh, hospital experience. But whatever it is, I remember going there and, uh, you know, coming from Chennai, you know, this, uh, you know, city people uh, living in dark was not something which was easy for us. And as soon as night comes, we'll have a lot of stories because you'll have some, hear some weird sounds. You never heard it in the city. It may be frogs, but uh, we were told, you know, those are ghosts, you know, making sound, and they don't go out in the night, and you can see white things moving, and also stories. Our cousins tried to scare us, but what they told also is that, you know, in the night, and it's not just that they're telling stories because I've heard it. You know, what I what used to happen is there'll be people walking in the night, no road, no road light. And uh, it was near the bank of a small uh, canal or something like that. And then the, as the night comes and it's dark outside, you'll hear people somewhere going, coming back from work. And some of them whistling loud and going. So then they'll say, yeah, because when you whistle loud, no, all these ghosts get scared and animals. So, so, so what I was taught is that you need to whistle loud when you're going through darkness. And I think sometimes we Christians think praise is like whistling loud. You know, the more we sing and more we say the same verses. Now, that is not what Peter is talking about. Peter is not talking about whistling in the dark. You know, but Peter is talking about praise, having a content. And what is so beautiful is that compared to all the praise thing that we see here, you know, because as I told you, I attend quite a few meetings. And I'm not surprised about the shallowness of the church in its knowledge of the word of God. You know, there are so many verses being claimed from the Bible 
you almost feel as though they know the whole bible but if you listen carefully there are 10 verses which are said over and over again you know if my people call by my name you know call upon me and then you know if you go through the valley of the shadow of death nothing will happen and you know maybe 10000 people will fall around you and i said hey from a collection of 66 books you know only eight verses you know and now we look at peter talking about praise he is not referring to any of those verses in fact you look at the new testament there are no references to all those verses which we cherish today when we go through difficult time because what happened is they were founded on a more complete knowledge not a selection of few verses which you repeat and repeat and say it loud it doesn't work that way and this is what a preacher peter says praise be to god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy again an explanation about salvation in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time peter says hey i want you to begin even before later on he will look at all the suffering they are going through but he says where do you begin to handle he says in the fact of what god has done for you already he said you are elect of god chosen by the foreknowledge of god for fulfilling the purposes of god god's holy spirit works in you and now he says that this whole work of god is that you have now experienced a new birth into a living hope peter says the way you handle difficult situation is to be anchored on the hope that god has given to you through your experience of god because sometimes what has happened is all our hope that we have developed over the years has been because i went through this difficult situation and god answered my prayer you know god did this god did this peter doesn't say that peter says the content of our salvation was a living hope and i like the way he says it's a hope that is living a hope that actually is not some kind of a concept it's something that lives and gives us meaning in the situations that we are in into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance god has kept for us in heaven he's not talking about a hope which we are moving towards to arrive in heaven he's talking about a hope that works in us and one day we will see the fullness of that hope when jesus comes and he says until the coming of salvation that is to be revealed in the last time and you through faith are shielded by god's power the content of the hope you have been born again into a living hope and therefore you are shielded by god so that you don't actually give up on this hope god works in our lives and so very important for us to understand that what keeps us going is the fact of hope peter later on talks about suffering that comes and you know being rejected by the world but he says no the starting point is the fact of the hope that you have and i believe that in the current context of what is happening 
It's not about the hope that one day we will see Jesus face to face. Yes, definitely. Every funeral ends with that song, you know, that we will see, you know, uh, in the, you know, something and they're saying in the, you know, at the feet of Jesus or whatever it is. But there is a hope. That's not the hope that Peter is talking about. Peter is talking about a hope that helps you to handle the situation that we are in. So I believe that one of the most important things in this time is that we continue to remind each other of the hope that we have. Not about going to heaven. That is definitely there. But the hope that God has given birth to us into a living hope. And in that hope, we live. And that's why we get in, in, involved in the world today, because we want to see that hope translated in our relationships with one another. And in our, in our own life, we live not as pushed down as people who have given up, but as a people of hope. We believe that this is what we are called to. So let me stop now. And uh, next week, we will look at verses from six onwards. Peter's letter, you know, even in the first few chapters up to chapter two, is a classic with so many things that would help us to go through difficult times. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas Podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.